So yes, this morning, finishing off Galatians, looking at Galatians 6, we have 18 verses, so she, we should get through all of it. Okay, that's always my pastor's clause. Sorry if we go off script, but this is the plan. Get the whole chapter in. And in chapter 6, we're going to see three things. We're going to see sharing, we're going to see sowing, and we're going to see sustaining. And see, in this section, I think it's a beautiful ending to this epistle. Because this whole epistle has been an urgent one from Paul that said, do not give in to legalism. <laughs> do not give in to this, this false gospel, as he said. This gospel is not another, he said in this book. He said the fact that people are saying, if you keep the law, if you keep that that what am I trying to say? That Jewish law, <laughs> if you try to keep the Mosaic law and you say, this is where my righteousness is. He says, man, you are absolutely, you've fallen from grace. That's a downgrade. <laughs> Not only is it a downgrade, but you're no longer trusting in the only thing that can save, which is the completed work of Jesus Christ. And he has gone on to say, grace is the thing that saves us by faith. Not your works, not legalism. And as I shared with you guys for four chapters, you may have been getting uncomfortable, going, we're talking a lot about grace. That might make people get really loose and live however they want because they think they can do anything. <laughs> I love it because the grace that saves you is a grace that changes you. And see, Paul knew that, and even then he says, although I'm spending four chapters to talk about the doctrine, we're going to, in 5 and 6, in Galatians chapters 5 and 6, he lays out the duty of the believer. The fact that there should be fruit of the Spirit coming out of your life as you surrender to Jesus Christ. And now in chapter 6, so much practical stuff here. How to function as a body, supporting one another, sharing in one another's burdens, continuing to sow unto the Spirit unto eternal things, and making sure that we sustain in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Look at verse 1. We'll get some context here for this section about sharing. It says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. I'm only starting with one verse. We'll move faster as we go, but this is an important verse because it bridges chapter 5 and 6 together. You might read that verse and go, wait a minute, are you telling me that we can still be overtaken by trespass after we've come to Jesus? Someone say it. Yes. <laughs> and the fact that people may fall into trespass, we are called to then go help them as we are yielding to the Spirit to guide them back into the truth, to restore them in these things, but also make sure that we're considering ourselves lest we also be tempted. It turns out that sin can run rampant in the church if we're yielding to the flesh rather than the spirit. But that's not news to us in chapter 6 because in chapter 5, verse 16 and 17, Paul had said, Walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. There is this threat of this battle that is in us. Just a war in our members, if you will. We read about it in Romans 7, where Paul is just crying, who's going to deliver me from this body of death? 
This is Paul writing such things. He says, the things I want to do, I find myself falling short in these things. I have temptations to do other things. Why is this? Because right now, though we have been justified by faith in the grace of Jesus Christ, we are being sanctified to be made more like Jesus every day. But we are not yet glorified. <laughs> There is a day coming in eternity where we will no longer have to worry about sin and its temptations in the presence of the Father. Amen? I hope we're longing for that day. I think the reason you might not be longing for that day, two reasons. You either don't know Jesus Christ, and I would tell you today, come on into Jesus Christ. Or secondly, you think you're already like glorified. You're like, I already got this. That's sin. There's no sin in my life. This section will show us be careful with that. If you already think you're complete... There's a puffed-upness, a pride that's there. You need to realize, man, you need to be on guard. Because everyone who thinks he stands needs to take heed lest he fall, according to 1 Corinthians 10, 12. And so, like, when we're talking about legalism in this letter, it makes sense that Paul is hitting these kinds of things. Because in the traps of legalism, you begin to think, I can make myself perfect. I can make myself strong. I'm stronger than everyone else. And see, Paul says, man, we got to be careful that you got to be bearing each other's burdens and make sure that you know you yourself could fall into such temptations. And see, in this section, when he says, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. The word here for overtaken in the Greek is prolembano. This does not speak of a rebellious unbeliever who opposes the word of God. This speaks of sin sneaking up and suddenly trapping a believer. <laughs> Isn't that scary, the verbiage that's used? Suddenly sneaking up and just grabbing you and taking you under its power. Don't tell me a believer cannot fall back into sin. I'm not talking about salvation stuff here. Hear me out. I am talking about, you might go, look at it, I'm saved in Jesus. You better be paying attention to the way you live, Amen. There is a potential to step into traps here. There is potential to destroy yourself, your witness, and everyone around you. And it says it comes in this sneaky attack, but it says you who are spiritually strong, come and restore that, brother. You could already hear how some pride could enter, right? Well, me being a spiritually strong one, I need to go rescue my pathetic brother over here who's fallen into sin. God forbid, right? That shouldn't be the heart. It should be, man, because I know that I have fallen into such things, that I could fall into such things, that I need to come over and say, man, how can I restore you? Now, it's interesting because the word restore, what it means in the Greek, it's a medical term that can relate to three things. Removing something problematic. It could be setting a broken bone back into place or mending something that is torn. I mean, I don't know about you guys. I don't like going to the doctor. <laughs> I don't want to go to the doctor. I will do anything in my power to not go to a doctor. I think I have like white coat syndrome. I don't like it, right? My body's shutting down in such situations. But this is the situation where you're like, dude, you need to go get help because your leg is broken. <laughs> you have this wound that isn't just going to heal itself. We need to get you help. And see, in that case, it is a good thing to have doctors and medical people that know what they're doing when you have this gaping wound. In this case, it's, man, my brother who desires to walk with Jesus well has suddenly fallen into this sin, been entrapped by this sin. How can I come and help guide them 
back into the truth that this sin wouldn't completely overtake them. Do we get what we're talking about here? <laughs> this is important because it also says, again, make sure you consider yourself that you could fall into these things. That should give you a spirit of gentleness as you do this. That, that term could be translated as meekness. We studied the fruit of the Spirit last week in chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. And one of the fruit of the Spirit is that meekness, that gentleness. I think about how often we run into these things, and legalism will do this big time. When you see someone else bomb out, if you're a legalist, you're like, man, look at that person over there. I would never do such a thing. Man, and then if you do come over to restore them, you don't restore them, you condemn them. You, you give them a word that says, oh, look at how, oh, this is so typical, this is so bad, this, I'm just telling you. You may not say that, but when you're proud, that's what your heart feels like. You're upset that this person would fall short. Reminder, Jesus Christ is the perfect one. We have put our trust in Jesus because we ourselves are unable to do any of this. We need to yield to the Spirit that good things would come out. But when someone yields to the flesh and they put themselves in such a situation, we are to come, I believe, not to condemn, let me be clear, but to charge them to sin no more. You say, well, where did we get that from? Jesus, in John chapter 8, with the woman who was caught in adultery, blatantly in sin, all these men bring her before Jesus. They say, we caught this woman in the very act of adultery, which there's a whole subplot of why this is evil by these men. But they say, what are you going to do about this? And you know what Jesus says? The one without sin, let him cast the first stone. Do you know who in that group actually had no sin and was actually able to throw the first stone? Jesus! And everyone else realizes, man, he's writing in the dirt. If you remember, as some people say, is he writing out sins that everyone's committed? Is he writing people's names maybe in there? He's like, oh, I know you, dude. And you're like, I'm not throwing the rock, right? And they're walking away. Jesus, though, looks around and says, hey, your accusers are gone. And he doesn't condemn her, but he does charge her. He says, listen, I charge you with this. Go and sin no more. Listen, so many people want to talk about Jesus. Oh, Jesus, don't condemn. Okay, but he also gives you a charge. Stop sinning. Trust in his word. Repent and come into truth. Living in these things are destructive, Jesus would say, but come on into the truth. Walk in these things. And this is the heart that we should have. It's not to go condemn the brother. It's to say, man, come on in. Repent of these things. This is the heart of Jesus, amen? Again, it's not sloppy agape, as my old pastor used to say. <laughs> oh, love just is okay with everything. You go ahead and commit more adultery. That's okay. That's not what Jesus said. Stop these things. Think about Daniel, or I'm sorry, David and Nathan. 2 Samuel chapter 12. How important was Nathan's rebuke to David for the rest of David's life and the history of Israel? Nathan, that took guts to go talk to the king, a king who blatantly just killed a man, no problem, had a hit put out on this guy so he could take his wife. It's like, I'm going to go talk to this guy about his sin. That takes a lot of courage, I think. But he knew as difficult and as and uncomfortable as it would be to go talk to his friend, his king, David, he said, it's my responsibility to do this. And as he came and told him, he said, you are that man, David. <laughs> you read Psalm 51. 
Verse 10, David's crying out to the Lord, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. This only happens because someone came and told David, What you're doing is wrong. But come on in. <laughs> Repent. Remember who the Lord is. There will be consequences of sin. We understand that in that story. Amen? Amen. But the Lord's grace was here to use David. And remember, a guy that's writing the Psalms, he's writing some of the Word of God after the sin. The Lord is so gracious. What are we waiting for? Come into that grace and mercy, but respond rightly by not continuing in that same sin that breaks the heart of the Lord, that destroys us, that harms the church. Amen? Look at verses 2 through 5. It says, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. So let's break this down a little bit. Paul is counseling the Galatians how exactly to properly share and bear the burdens of one another. This word, when he says, bear one another's burdens in verse 2, uses this word, bastadzo. It means to carry or endure one another's heaviness, that weight, that trouble. And in this context, we've already seen, we're talking about things like sin. We're talking about spiritual opposition, spiritual trials and trouble. So in this case, what Paul is saying, there is a need for the brothers and sisters in Christ to help one another endure through those difficulties, whether they be things like sin or just the trials and troubles of this fallen world in which we live in. We are told in the scripture to rejoice with each other when we're rejoicing and also to mourn with those who are mourning. We should be able to not just say, I want to associate with someone when they're having good times and doing good things. <laughs> and man, there's times when life's going to be hard. Even in Jesus Christ. Sorry if you're a prosperity gospel person. But if you've lived it all in Jesus, you know that there's still a reality of this fallen world around you. Amen? There's still this wicked flesh in us. There's still an enemy that is on the prowl seeking to, to, to devour us. But when you realize, man, we're here for one another... So that, man, I can pray with you. I can give you counsel from the Word of God when you are just having a tough time, when you're getting just beat down by your flesh, by the things of this world, by trials, by sorrow, whatever that thing may be. This is important because so many people, actually, I'll be, let's be real, the study shows that young people are coming back to church finally. Praise the Lord for that. But for a long time, many people said, I don't need church. I can have my relationship with Christ without having the church. And I will say, in semantics, okay, I will agree with, of course you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ and never set foot in a church. I get that. But is that what we're counseled to do in the Word of God? Absolutely not. We're actually counseled the opposite. We're told to come into the fellowship of the gathering. Don't forsake the assembling of the gathering in Hebrews 10.25. You say, why is church so important? Because when you come in and you're getting beat up, you have your brother and sister who spiritually are strong here ready to help you bear your burden. They're here as spirit-filled vessels to say, I have a word from you from Scripture. I am here to pray with you. I'm here to just practically maybe bring you a meal when it is hard. We're family now, blood bought by Jesus. Amen? If you're in Jesus, 
you should also be in the family in the sense that you come to these things. You're here. You understand the value, but also you understand that selflessly you're looking for opportunities to bear others' burdens. You see, so many people go, I don't need church. You say, no, 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 but if you're so strong, why don't you come and support someone else then? You show up and be a blessing to somebody. You do have a responsibility to come in and know you serve in children's ministry or ushers or anywhere else. You know that you have a ministry and just ministering to one another. Amen? You should be looking for opportunities to serve one another. Philippians 2.3 says, let us consider each other better than ourselves, right? That we might serve one another. That we might bless one another. And so all of this is to say we need one another and we should have love towards one another. Jesus gave a commandment to his disciples in John 13, 34, and 35. He said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. See, Paul says, this is how you're going to fulfill the law of Christ. And you say, what is that law? Jesus was giving out a law, a commandment, that says you've got to love each other. This is how people will know that you belong to me. And see, it's scary when people come into Jesus and two things disappear. We talked about it last week. If joy disappears, you're doing something wrong in Jesus. I'm just telling you. I'm not saying you can't have hard times, but there better be a joy, and that joy is the salvation of the Lord. <laughs> there is always something that we realize in this temporal world, it's a mess, but we have eternal hope in Jesus Christ. This is not forever, amen? That's the lie of the world. You've got to invest in now. Don't invest in the things of this world. Invest in the place, in the kingdom, where moth cannot destroy and where thief cannot steal, as Jesus said. But the reality is, in this section also, you fulfill that law of Christ. Because, man, you're just looking for opportunities to, to love one another. And, I mean, how sad is that if we say, I don't need that? You might have a pride issue. <laughs> you might have a pride issue. So when the joy goes away, there's something wrong. But if you have a pride issue that says, I don't need the body, you think you can do this on your own. You're also kind of selfish because you don't realize that other people need you. Let that be a rebuke or an ex exhortation this morning. I'll be clear. I'm not perfect in these things. But we should all be looking for opportunities Say, man, I want to love like Jesus loved. Amen? In verse 3, again, he, Paul is warning of this deception that can occur. He says, if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, <laughs> he deceives himself. <laughs> Paul has no problem just saying things the way they are. <laughs> He's like, if someone thinks they're something, they forgot that they're nothing. <laughs> That's not the most popular word in the psych like psychological realm right now, right? Hey, did you remember today that you're nothing? Right? People be like, oh my gosh, I'm so offended by that. Let me be clear. This is not Paul saying that you're dirt and you're dumb and you're useless. He's saying, look, you're made in the image of God. We understand that. You need to trust in the spirit of God. You are not strong in yourself to think that you are able to do this in your own strength. Amen? This is talking about humility. <laughs> this is talking about, again, that meekness. This is, man, I'm humbly going to come and look for an opportunity to serve others because if you start getting puffed up, two things happen. First of all, you think, I will never commit such sins. Therefore, I'm not going to get involved with this thing. Those people don't, they're not like me. I'm better than them. That's ridiculous. But it happens in our flesh, right? Here's the second thing. It's that I don't think that your things are as important as my things. I'm too important to deal with your stuff right now. 
And let me be clear, there are times I feel like this is a very important thing to put out there. I have known people that abuse the model of having people bear their burdens. You know what I mean by this? All they do is go around from person to person to person and they sob their story and they're never ready to help anyone else. I will tell you, there needs to be some discernment sometimes to go, hey, is this a burden that the Lord is calling us all to bear? Or maybe, as verse 4 would say, I'm sorry, verse 5, it says, let each one bear his own load. <laughs> You're like, wait a minute, didn't Paul just tell us in verse 2 that everyone needs to help bearing each other's burdens, but then in verse 5, he says, go ahead and bear your own load. But there's an interesting verse that bridges these two in verse 4. It says, let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. So as you're bearing one another's burdens, the way you stay humble is by taking an assessment, examining the way that you're handling your own burden in the Lord. Now, if this sounds confusing, there's two words being used for bearing and burdens in this section. The first section, that verse 2, it's a burden so heavy, you are not intended and able to handle that burden on your own. It's bigger than what you were supposed to, and, and you were supposed to have for yourself. Others were supposed to come help you. In verse 5, when it says you should bear your own, this is talking about, in a military term, the bag that each soldier would be responsible to carry himself. You have certain things that you are called to bear as you yoke up with Jesus and you trust in Him alone. Amen? There are some things so heavy, the Lord and His counsel will say, you need to go get help from others around you. But that doesn't mean every single thing is everyone else's problem. You have some things in your life you need to take straight to the Lord, and the Lord's going to say, you have a responsibility to handle these things. Why I bring that up and why I bridge this all together is we know there's a Bema Seat Judgment of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5. And we're going to have to give an account on the things that we, like the things that we were responsible, that the Lord said, here, these are stewarded to you. What did you do with them? I think we can get so distracted in saying things like, well, this person over here set a bad example. That's why I wasn't supposed to, to do this thing, right? The Lord says, no. There is a thing where that wasn't their deal to carry. It was your deal to carry this. And see, if you start looking around and giving excuses for reasons why you can't do any of this, oh, this person over here let me down. This person over here set a bad example. This church did this thing. I'm not going to like discount that people have church hurt. You hear me here, right? But to say, therefore, I just don't have to walk with Jesus and bear my burden anymore, there are certain things you're going to stand before the Lord and He's like, I still had you doing this thing. You need to be, realize that there are some things that are not everyone else's call. It's your call. And the very first thing, you better be trusting in the Lord Jesus and not in fellow man. <laughs> but there are some things so heavy, you need to come get help. You need to come to your fellow brother and say, man, I need you to pray with me. I need a word. And then when you're the spiritually strong, you go look for someone that needs that help. But everyone is going to have to give an account for the things they were stewarded with. And see, if you take, can take an assessment and examine the things in your life, it's interesting, Paul uses a word, documazo, when he says to examine your own work. It's a test or an examination to prove and scrutinize fine metals. So you would basically say, let's stop, before I get puffed up and think I'm better than everyone else, let's just stop and take inventory on my life real quick, see how we're doing. I think that does two things. First of all, if things are going well, you go, thank you, Jesus, for your spirit. Because anything good that comes out of me, that's the Lord. Amen? 
But if there are things in my life where I'm like, oh man, I got to be careful condemning this person over here because I got this glaring plank in my eye over here. <laughs> man, maybe I need to handle that first before I start pointing out the speck over here. Amen? And see, these are things that Jesus taught. There has to be a balance in this, and it keeps us, I believe, humble, keeps us praising the Lord for the work that He's done. But there is a responsibility that all of us need to be doing the things we need to be doing, but also caring for one another. And I love that Paul doesn't lose any of it in the explanation. He doesn't say, just go ignore your neighbor and just focus on yourself. But he also says, don't be so busy worrying about all the other servants under the master that you're not doing your own work. That's the thing. We get so distracted. Did you see what this person's doing? Look what that person did. Look what this person's not doing. Jesus would say, you have a master to serve. If you're busy worrying about your own thing that you've been stewarded with, don't worry. You'll still have plenty of opportunities to help those around you. But you have plenty to keep you busy where you don't have to be condemning everyone in some proud state of mind. <laughs> Man, humble yourself, trust in the Lord, and serve the things He's called you to serve in. Does that all make sense? The balance that's there? Amen? Now we look at sowing. Look at verse 6. It says, Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. I'm going to pause it because this is part of a bigger section of Scripture. And I told my wife last night, I was telling my wife, Jen, my lovely wife, you guys don't know her, get to know her. She's the best person in the world, in my opinion. But um, she was talking to me about the study. We were talking about this. And I said, man, there is... Like, I will teach on any subject in this Bible. I'm not afraid to teach about anything. Can I tell you what the most awkward, uncomfortable thing to teach as a pastor is, hey, guys, you got to support the ministry. <laughs> Do you know why? This has been greatly abused by many churches in many different ways. I bring this up immediately, and I thought, I could make this as one verse and then part of verses 6 through 10, but I broke it up in my notes to say, I think there is a great misunderstanding on all the different spectrums on how we're supposed to support the church. And see, in this section, when Paul says, let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. I will tell you, there is a prosperity gospel and a movement out there that says if you want to be blessed and be rich, guess who you got to make rich first? The guy on the stage, right? you got to pay me. And they're flying around in their jets while everyone else is barely making rent, right? And they're just like, oh, don't worry. Sow that gift, that love gift, that gift of faith. You know, sow that unto me. First three people that bring a check for 10 grand to this stage, they're going to get a special blessing. And people have a foot race running down there. It is manipulation. It is wicked. And we talked about earlier, economics, right? <laughs> the worldview on economics is, man, if I get money, I'll have everything. And man, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, according to 1 Timothy 6.10. And for, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, and they pierce themselves through with many sorrows. I will tell you this morning, on the flip side of that, while there are people that pervert such things, I think there's a tendency to say, oh man, it's wrong then to give to the church because men are just, you can't trust men, you can't trust the work. I will tell you, if you go to a church where you can't trust the leadership and see the fruits of the ministry that you're giving into, man, run. Why are you sitting in a place where you can't trust the person teaching the Word of God to you? But I think this is the biggest thing. You're not given to the guy on stage. <laughs> You're given to the Lord. 
And you are called, according to 2 Corinthians 9, 7, to give cheerfully, not grudgingly, or out of some kind of obligation, like, man, I'm going to hell if I don't give. No, you do it with a cheerful response, going, I am supporting the things of God. I am investing, investing in the kingdom of God. Amen? This is important because, again, I think people have abused this thing. I remember coming in with a friend to church years ago. As a new believer, I brought a friend that was from the world, and he was so, like, surprised. And unfortunately, it was one of those days, I believe, they taught on tithing, and they sent the, the plate around, right? And so him immediately was like, I was out the minute they did that, because they just want my money. Well, there's two things with that. First of all, I don't think you understand the context biblically of that in the Old Testament, the church was called to support the ministers in the ministry. Jesus also said, a laborer is worthy of his wages. He told his disciples, don't take a bunch of stuff with you. The people that receive the word, they'll, they'll let you stay with them and feed you. They're not going to make you rich. You're not going to have mansions and race cars because of this. But you're not going to die. <laughs> the Lord's going to provide for you. Amen? And Paul goes on to say that those who teach, those who minister, they should be able to be supported from the gospel. But, see, if you come in and you don't know better, you think, oh, this is just one of those churches. They just want my money. I would warn you of this. If this is the reason to run, you might have a God named money. You might have an idol that is mammon. See, people are like, I don't want to give my money to these people. Can I just remind you? You have always tithed to your God. Every dollar that you spend, you're giving it somewhere. When you were in the world, you tithed to the God of drugs, sex, and everything else. When you come to Jesus... I love it. This is kind of funny. My pastor used to say, as Pastor Xavier Reese at Pasadena, he used to say, man, I saved money when I came to Jesus. He says, I used to spend 30% of my money on dumb things, and then I stopped doing those things, and now I just give 10% to the Lord. I'm making more money than ever. And I just thought that was a funny comment, right? We're so like, man, you wasted and burned away your money in the world. Again, come to the economic biblical worldview class, right? <laughs> But we are now stewarded with something to give to the Lord. And can I tell you, Malachi, the book of Malachi tells us, says you can trust the Lord as you give unto him. And I'm not going to go any further on this because I'll tell you this. This body is faithful to give unto the Lord. Amen. This is not a message because I feel like we need to like boost tithing or something. Can I be clear? I just find this verse, I don't get to hit this very often. I hate having to even talk about it to some extent. But it's important for us to know these things because we all need these exhortations from the Word of God. Here's the other side of this, though. <laughs> I think this is interesting. In 1 Timothy 5, 17, it says, Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the Word and doctrine. This is where I stress the side of the guys on stage. How dare you tell everyone, you better give, give, give. You better be earning your keep as a laborer of the gospel. <laughs> You might say, what do I mean by that? There are so many people going to ministry go, this is a quick way to make a buck. This is a quick way to get a, a title. This is a quick way to get power. Get out of the ministry. <laughs> when you serve the Lord well, as Paul would say, I will spend and gladly be spent for your souls. I will do this at a loss. I have done this at a loss. Praise the Lord when the Lord provides. Amen? There are seasons to all things. If you're in this for the money, I would say to any pastor who hears this, get out of ministry. And I'll tell you, those are the guys that create a bad reputation for those that do things well. I think it's interesting. You have phenomenal school teachers out there in the world, right? But it's just the bad ones that give a bad rep for everyone else. And I feel bad for school teachers sometimes because everyone's like, oh, the school teachers are the wicked ones. It's like there's some bad apples. We get that, right? 
It doesn't mean the whole tree is bad. <laughs> and this is what happens with the church. People see these outrageous people fleecing the flock for money, and they say, that's everyone. And that's not everyone, okay? I will tell you this. Trust the Lord. Give unto the Lord. And I will tell you, there is a principle that says you are going to realize. It may not be financially, physically, but you will be blessed in trusting the Lord in every aspect of your life, including your finances. Amen? Good. We got the awkward part done. Let's go to verse 7. All right. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And so again, Paul's talking about sowing in verses 6 through 10. First of all, he hits a sow those practical things, right? If the Lord's blessed you with something, given you something, he's stewarded you with finances, use them under the kingdom of God. I also think it's interesting in verse 6, he says, he says share with those who teach you in all good things. I think that's another thing that I'll just throw out there. I feel like sometimes as a pastor and those in ministry, we kind of only hear about the worst bad seasons of the life. <laughs> I will tell you, even if you do this with fellow brethren, tell them the praise reports, amen. <laughs> when the Lord actually comes through as He promised, don't just move on to the next bad news. Will you give the Lord the glory for the good things that He's done and share those things unto those that have ministered in the body or from the stage, amen? I think that's important. It's not just a financial aspect. It is just to be a family in God rejoicing for who He is, trusting in Him. And in verse 7, it says again, it says, Don't be deceived, God is not mocked. The word there for mocked could be translated as sneered. It could be translated in a way that man kind of just shakes his fist at God and says, I don't need to do things your way. I'll do whatever I want. And maybe you remember this from when you were in the world. I hope you don't know this from your life now. But when you do the things opposite of the Word of God, man, things don't go well, amen? <laughs> There's a reason that the Word of God is profitable for teaching, for correction, for reproof, for training in righteousness. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and tents of the heart. As you get into the Word, it tells you that is the wrong way you're going here. You read the Word and you say, don't do that. This is what's going to come from this. <laughs> The Holy Spirit is in you to lead you into all truth. But I will say, when you were in the world, the world was your counselor. The world said, you can do whatever you want. Whatever feels good is good for you. Just listen to your heart. Garbage. Garbage advice, by the way. Jeremiah 17, 9, the heart is deceitfully wicked, deceitful above all things. It is terrible. You don't want to be walking around listening to your heart. You want to listen to the Word of God. And see, man will say, I don't need the word of God. I can do whatever I want. And there's a sneering. There's a shaking of the fist, if you will, towards God. This is, I don't need your ways. And see, God will not be mocked. <laughs> and it's interesting, because you might look at some people and go, but they're getting away with it. Not in eternity. <laughs> but especially, I believe the rule of thumb here in this lifetime, people don't get away with those things. They may look like they're prospering, but inwardly, they're just like dead men's bones, as Jesus would say about those whitewashed tombs, the Pharisees, right? They look like they're doing well, but they're a mess inside. <laughs> you want to oppose the Word of God, you can say you're doing well, but you know this is not the best thing for you. Life is not going smoothly as you would like to show people that it is. 
Because God is not mocked. Psalm 138.2 says that he magnifies his word above his name. You know what that means? He told the truth in everything he ever wrote. And if he says that you, it's best to follow my word and you live against that, he has to honor his word and show that's not a good way to live. And when you sow to the flesh, this idea of sowing, of planting something, of investing, man, of the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. But if you sow to the Spirit, of the Spirit, you'll reap everlasting life. This is what everybody wants. Peace with God. Everlasting life. Those only come through the Word of God, Jesus Christ. There's nothing else that will give you everlasting life. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me. I'm sorry, comes to God except through me. <laughs> That's a big statement because in this modern day, there are giant churches and movements saying Jesus is a single way, one of the ways to come to God. That's not what Jesus said. And if that's the case, Jesus didn't have to die on a cross. <laughs> Jesus said, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. And when God sent him to the cross and he willingly obeyed, it showed that he had to go to the cross to die for sins because that was the only thing that would ever grant salvation to anyone who would believe. And see, this is important to note. You say, how do we get to the gospel out of this sowing thing? When you understand the gospel, you're going to sow according to the word of God. <laughs> That should be your heart's desire. When you yield to the Spirit, you're going to sow to the Spirit and you're going to reap from the Spirit. I will tell you, there is a peace that surpasses all understanding in Jesus Christ, as Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says. And that peace, absolutely, the sin and shame comes off your shoulder when you come to Jesus and you're justified. But there is this wonderful practical peace that comes in through sanctification as you walk after the things of the Word of God. And you're like, man, I don't have to worry about destroying myself with this vice anymore. <laughs> because the Lord said not to do those things. I don't have to worry about going bankrupt, doing dumb things if I'm seeking the Lord in everything that I'm doing. Now let me be clear. I'm not saying you're going to be rich, but the Lord will always give you what you need. And I will, this is a very American thing that we do. If God loves me, he's going to make me filthy rich. <laughs> Look at the Lord said, I will take care of you like I take, more, better than I take care of the birds of the air and the lilies of the field. I will dress you, I will feed you, I will give you peace and everlasting life. We have perverted that to go, man, we need all these other riches and things with it. Praise the Lord if you have those things and you can handle those things. There are many good rich people in the Bible. <laughs> I'm reading through Genesis right now. You have guys like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and you have very rich people. But I will tell you, don't seek God because you want to get rich. <laughs> man, sow to the Spirit and man, the Lord will take care of everything else. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all of these things will be added unto you as Matthew 6.33 says. Amen? What are we sowing to? What are we paying to? But it's interesting, in verse 9, again, he says, Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we will reap if we don't lose heart. I think this is an interesting one, because you might look around and go, there's some people that aren't sowing to the Spirit, and they seem to be getting payouts right now. I'm not just talking financially, I'm talking about they seem to be doing okay. They seem to have some kind of peace. Remember, we're playing the long game. <laughs> we're not playing the short game. This is something we need to remember all the time. There might be people celebrating these little minor victories in this world and we get a little jealous at times in our flesh. Man, we're playing the long, the long game that leads to eternal life. And that's that game where it's, it's, it's the most important of all. 
man, that we would trust in the completed work of Jesus Christ. And we say, because of that, I'm going to live my life just trusting in the gospel, walking after Jesus, sowing into the things that he's called me to sow into. But it's interesting. I think that Paul says, let us not grow weary. Do you know Paul was maybe tempted sometimes to go, man, this is kind of exhausting, putting into so many things and not getting an immediate harvest. <laughs> I think it's... It's something that, that tempts us. We go, when I don't see an immediate result, I want to give up. If you stay in this gospel, continue to sow to the Spirit, I will tell you, you will look back 30 years and you'll be like, man, the Lord was so good to honor His Word. Don't look for the little immediate victories. It's funny, the Lord gives those sometimes. Praise the Lord for those. But generally speaking, we're taught about patience a lot in Scripture. As the patient farmer waits for that crop, as the book of James says, Man, you're just waiting for it to come forth. It doesn't happen overnight. But Paul says, no, continue to do these things. Even if you're not seeing something immediately, remember, God is not mocked. Again, how patient the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. You gotta wait through that. You gotta wait on the Lord to do the work that he's gonna do. But it's interesting in verse 10, he says, as we have opportunity, important word, when you have a chance, when you have this, this window of time, when you have this opportunity to do good to all, you have this opportunity. Let us do this especially to those who are of the household of faith. Do it to all men, but especially those of the house of faith. Let me tell you what this is saying. Now that you've come to Jesus, you need to live in a way where you honor all people everywhere around you. Remember, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. The seconds like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And remember, that lawyer in one of the accounts tries to say, well, well, who's my neighbor, right? Trying to justify, well, who do I have to love? And she's like, no, everyone's your neighbor. You got to honor and love those around you. That's a hard word, because there are some people that are difficult in our minds to love. I remind you that you and I are difficult to love, and the Lord loves us nonetheless, amen? We need to show that same love that the Lord has given to us unto others. But it's interesting. The idea here, it says, do good to all, but especially those of the household of faith. <laughs> I think it's 1 Peter 2.17. It says, honor all men. That means give them what they're due. They're made in the image of God. But then it goes on, it says, love the brotherhood. There's a difference. Those that are in the world that don't know Jesus, we have not been blood-bought as a family. Though we are all made in the image, and we have a commonality that we're made in the image of God, we should honor one another in those things. We should never be ter like, like terrible people to those on the outside. We should never be rude and indifferent to them. We should be preaching the gospel to them and loving them in action. But the people in the church, this is our family now, amen? Especially those in church. And what breaks my heart is that sometimes people have better relationships with people in the world than people in the church because of the division that enters. People are like, oh, this person, they offended me with this, that, and the other. I'm just going to avoid them and I'll talk about them to this person in the world. You're like, that's not how it's supposed to be. We should be united in this building, blood bought by Jesus, amen? Again, love those that are around you, honor them, but there should be that deep brotherly love as family in Christ, amen? Look at 11 through 15. It says, See with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised, that they may boast in your flesh. 
But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the Lord has, I'm sorry, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. <laughs> See, in this section, what we're talking about, we're talking about sustaining. And I think for Paul, he says, I'm going to wrap this whole letter up with an important word. So important that he seems to take the pen from the person he was dictating this letter to. He says, see with what large letters I'm writing this. And this, I think I told you guys a couple weeks ago when we were in Galatians 4, when he says, man, you guys received me so well, you wanted to give me your own eyes if you could. People have said, he must have had this terrible eye problem. And now when he's writing, he's writing with giant letters because he can't see, maybe. <laughs> but here's the deal, what's happening here. It's seems to be that he definitely takes the pen from the person he's dictating to. This was Paul's practice. We see it in Romans. I believe it was Tertius that was the one that was writing it for him, and he took the pen from him. I think that's in Romans 16.22, if I remember correctly. But in this section, what he's doing is he takes the pen, and he says, I'm going to write, look at these large letters. And it's interesting. Because some people, or a couple commentators said, oh, he just means like the length of the, of the letter. It's a long letter. I'm like, it's not that long of a letter for Paul. I think it's the letters themselves because the word in the Greek that's here has to do with a large size geometrically. It seems that he, if we were writing in English, if you're about to text something really important, you're about to go all caps on them, right? It seems that Paul is like, you better pay attention here. I'm wrapping this letter. This is urgent and important. And what he says, he says, as many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised. Remember this. Enter the law. They want you to come into this Jewish legalism, and they're doing this only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. He says, guys, the, the reason I'm writing you this letter is because these Judaizers, these false brethren have come in and convinced you that they have the truth and I do not, that I've been lying to you, that you need more than just the cross of Jesus, you also need legalism. He says, the reason that they do these things, they make themselves look so good on the outside so that you will be impressed and follow them and become servitude to them and they'll build a following. And he says, and they're doing this because they're afraid of the cross alone. This is an interesting verse here. In other words, the Judaizers may have said things like, hey, Paul was right to teach you about the cross, but you also need the Jewish law, not just the law. What this would do for these men is it would probably allow them to still live a life like a Jew amongst their fellow Jews and be like, hey, don't worry. We're still teaching them to follow the law in addition to the cross, and that would ease the persecution. What that is, is generally called, right, is the idea that, man, we're going to go soft on Jesus. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna go ahead and we're just going to take a step back from the true gospel so that we can be received by those around us. This has been the temptation and the trap of the modern day church is let's go ahead and let's take a step back from the truth that Christ alone saves and we'll add in other things that make the world like us so that they won't hurt us. That is outrageous. We are to sustain in teaching the cross of Christ and the grace of Jesus alone. Amen? And see, these guys, they didn't want to do that because they were afraid they'd be persecuted if they did this. And they also wouldn't be able to flaunt all of their works, right? They wouldn't be able to act like they were better than everyone, that they needed everyone to follow them. It says in verse uh, 13 here, even those who are circumcised, they don't keep the law, right? They, 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 they don't do the things, but they desire to have you be circumcised, that they can boast in your flesh. This is so typical of legalism. 
Let's tell everyone I'm perfect, but in behind, in the, behind the scenes, I'm not doing all the things I'm telling everyone else to do. I'm going to tell you you have to do them, but I don't expect myself to do them. That's hypocrisy. And Jesus spoke of the Pharisees, of the men that would do things like this in Matthew 23, 28. He said, even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And I think it's interesting. Paul's saying, look, they say that they're circumcised outwardly. But Deuteronomy 30, verse 6 says, the Lord God will circumcise your hearts. You may try to do all the outward things, but if inwardly you don't have the reality of trusting in Christ alone, you aren't truly in that covenant with God as he would call you to be. We studied a couple chapters ago about the differences between Isaac and Ishmael, right? Both children of Abraham, one was of promise, one was a work of the flesh. These men were working the flesh. That's what they were doing. <laughs> And Paul says, no, they might say they're circumcised. They're not, because the circumcision that matters is the heart being cut and trusting in Jesus Christ. And that's why he juxtaposes his ministry with theirs in verse 14. He says, they do that, but you know what I do? He says, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a message that every pastor needs to be confronted with every day and say, what are you going to teach today? Are you going to teach anything other than Jesus Christ crucified, resurrected, giving justification, sanctification, eventually glorification to those that trust in him. If we teach anything else in the sense of that's what's going to save you, I'm talking about very foundational things. If we come and say, plus, you need these other things. Jesus is not enough. We need to add this. You need to add that thing. I will tell you that is problematic. You're acting like a Judaizer at that point. Paul says, I'm never going to do that. That's not what I do. I am standing upon Jesus alone. And he says, this world has been crucified to me and I to the world. See, immediately we think of like Colossians 3 type stuff, right? Like you've been raised with Christ, so don't live for the sick things of this world, the sins of this world. But I believe what Paul's also saying here in addition to that, I don't live by man's systems anymore of righteousness. I am dead to that law now because I have been raised with Christ. I am not coming back under the throes and the obligation of legalism, the bondage of legalism. I have been raised up with Christ and my, His completed work is my righteousness now. <laughs> Amen? This is important. You start preaching on things, you move away from it. And that's why, again, in verse 15, he says, In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. But he says, you know what does avail something? <laughs> A new creation. Man, this is important. You might again, I'll stress it one more time before we finish. We're basically done. But he says, you might have all these outward things. You might not have the outward things. He says, if you're measuring yourself based on circumcision, uncircumcision, the law, the keeping thereof, the honoring of festivals, all those things, just look at those things will come and go. This is the thing that matters, that you have become a new creation in Jesus Christ. Anyone that was afraid of teaching grace in this book said, oh no, how do we look different and how do we obey? You're going to be a new creation if you've trusted in the grace of God. Amen? You're going to look different. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things, where have they gone? They've passed away. All things have become new. I will tell you again, it's a hard word, it's a heavy word, but if you look exactly the same as when you used to be in the world and you say, oh, I'm, a, I'm in Jesus now. I'll tell you, that's alarming. <laughs> you need to take inventory and say, was it real? Did you trust and surrender to Jesus Christ? 
If you say nothing changed, I'm still doing everything I used to do, I'm still Lord of my life and Savior of my own life, you don't have a true relationship with Jesus Christ. But when you trust in the grace of Jesus, it's going to be made evidence through the fruit of the Spirit as you yield to the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those things will come out of you that never used to come out of you in the world. <laughs> Those things that used to come out of you, they shouldn't be popping up all the time. Amen? We still have a flesh. We may stumble at times. But we should look like a new creation. Amen? Look at the final benediction, 16 through 18. As many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And I love this because in this section here, he's saying, I'm calling you to walk according to this rule. What is the rule that he's laid out? It's not legalism. It's grace. Walk in grace. If you walk in that grace, you're going to know peace. You're going to know mercy. Because if you walk in grace, you're trusting in the completed work of Jesus Christ. That means you have peace with God by your faith, according to Romans 5.1. Amen? You also have mercy because by His blood you receive the forgiveness of sins, according to Ephesians 1.7. And as you do these things, you'll know that practical peace because you're walking in the wisdom of God's Word. And as you do these things, it's interesting. He says, guys, you'll be the Israel of God. <laughs> Remember, the Judaizers were like, we're, we're the true Jews because we keep the law. This is kind of, kind of Paul saying, like, no, they're not the real Israel of God. The real Israel of God are those that actually receive by faith the promises of Abraham through Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's who really is the one that belongs to God, not these Judaizers. And see, he says in verse 17, that said, let no one trouble me anymore. I bear the marks of Jesus Christ in my body. <laughs> People were trying to accuse Paul of not really being an apostle, not really being of the Lord. And he says, man, those guys are trying to dodge persecution through their, their whole game of adding legalism to the cross. He says, think about 2 Corinthians 11, I think it is, where Paul says, man, all the perils that I've endured because I belong to Jesus, all the wounds, all the beatings, he was stoned to clinical death at one point. <laughs> He says, and I have the scars and the wounds in my body as if I'm a, a branded piece of cattle or a branded slave in that culture that he owns me because I have his mark of ownership all over me. He says, please don't let anyone trouble me anymore with these ridiculous accusations. That's what I imagine Paul saying at the end of this letter. But he says, this said, I love how he closes it out. Brethren, <laughs> even though they had lapsed into legalism, Paul wrote to them in love because he still considered them his brethren. How many times we are tempted when people treat us wrong, treat us poorly, speak badly about us, we're like, forget those people. They're not my brethren anymore. Paul has called them brethren, and I believe in every chapter, if I'm correct. In every chapter, he said, brethren, brethren, brethren. We've seen it two times in this chapter. It started with brethren, it ends with brethren. My heart is that you would stop going into legalism, that you'd come all the way back to the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, and if you do, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ will be with your spirit. Walk in grace. <laughs> what are you trusting in? What are you living by? Is it stealing your joy? That ain't Jesus. Are you walking in love? Cool. If you're not and you're saying you're a believer, something's wrong there. His disciples will be known by their love. Amen? Love, joy, peace, mercy, it's all rooted in the grace of Jesus Christ. But when you receive that grace, you become a new creation. <laughs> and it's interesting because I think in this section, there's... there's 
a word in some translations. It's interesting. I just noticed it's not in the New King James. In some of the other translations, you know how this section ends? The word? Amen. <laughs> My favorite word, if you guys haven't noticed. I throw amen out there all the time. Do you know what amen means? Like, like why you would call it out? Let it be so. I agree. If you think I'm crazy when I'm throwing amens, I'm not asking you to amen every amen. I get it. I do it a lot. But I want you to understand, that's not me trying to be like a hyper-Pentecostal or trying to convince you of something. That's me declaring what we've just said. This aligns with the Word of God. If you agree, amen. If you don't, go study, see where I'm wrong, and come tell me it's not an amen. That's cool. But I'm just telling you, the reason that word is used is to say, man, yes, this is the truth. As we just worked through Galatians 6 chapters, oh man, has the Lord not reminded us, Calvary Chapel McKinney, of the need to trust in His grace alone. I hope that you have joy that you didn't have before you came in. I hope you had the joy, but if you didn't, I hope you came back into it through the book of Galatians. I don't know what you're trusting in. I don't know what you're waiting on. If you're trusting or waiting on anything besides Jesus Christ, that's going to let you down. You will know peace as you trust in the Lord and walk according to His word. Amen? Why don't you guys stand with me?